Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Dom Giordano on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hey, Ray, welcome in. Hi, Dom. How are you? Well, well, well. So uh, you wrote this column for WIP. Do you, was this just... A one-off, Ray, or are you writing a column now for Odyssey, I guess? <laughs> no, it was a one-off. It was a one-off, I was, okay. Yeah, I, I was talking to the uh, – uh, I was talking to Rod Lakin, who's the program director at WIP, uh, last week. And just, I just casually mentioned as what, what, how many people were coming up to me now on the street and on the you know, park bench in Rittenhouse Square and all the places that retired people go and, uh, and coming up to me and saying, gee, do you want – are you sorry you retired now? I mean, I mean, you retired last May, and ever since then, the Phillies have been in the World Series. They're going again this year, and the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, and they might go again this year. Aren't you? Are you sorry you retired? And um, and and the program director said, "Gee, that's that's a, that's an interesting idea. Would would you have a, Would you write a column about that and put we could put it on the website?" And I said, "Sure." So you know, I hadn't I hadn't actually written a column and. God knows how many years, but I sat down and I, and I wrote that and it went up on the website last week. And it's amazing; I got a, a tremendous reaction to it. An awful lot of emails and an awful lot of people saying what you said. Oh, does this mean you're making a comeback? I said no. <laughs> it, just, it, it, it just so it just so happened that uh, these are extraordinary times in Philadelphia with all the sports teams, and uh, and this was a question I was being asked a lot, so I just thought I would answer it in print. Well, you do, Ray. Talk about what we've talked about, even with Angelo last week and his new book. The likability of this Phillies team, I had to go back to the Broad Street Bullies of anything that's caught on with all this quirky stuff. Um, Why so likable? What do you see about them that seems to, even Ray, don't boo Trey Turner, give him a standing ovation? Right, right. Um, Well, I think that's, yeah, that's what kind of sets this story apart from any of the others. Uh, you're right about. I mean, you're right about the Broad Street Bullies. I mean, they were, they were a unique, they were a un, unique phenomenon. Um, the, the, the kind of team that they were, uh, the makeup of the team, the style of play, the way that they won, uh, and the fact that they, that they really transformed um, Philadelphia as a sports town. Uh, at, because at that time when they came along, 73, 74, 75, things were really bleak around here. I mean, none of the teams were any good. Uh, and all of a sudden, here come the Broad Street bullies that nobody saw coming. And, uh, you know, with that roll-up-your-sleeves, punch-you-in-the-nose sort of style that they had, uh, the city fell in love with them, and then they wound up winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. And, you know, and they 
they did then, and they will always, I think, hold a special place in the hearts of Philadelphia sports fans. But this, but this bunch is unique, I think, in um, just in the in the, in the likability factor and the way that they have, um, and the way the city has, the way they have embraced the city, and the way the city has embraced them. I think that's that's the thing, and the, you know, and the and the Trey Turner story. You know, the, the guy that comes in here, you know, you know, $300 million contract, he has that terrible first year. I mean, he's struggling like he's never struggled in his career. And, you know, this town is supposedly the, the, the most hostile and angry sports town in America, does a complete 180, and all of a sudden, instead of booing the guy, they give him a standing ovation. And all of a sudden, he just—he all of a sudden he becomes an all-star again, and uh, and it's sort of—I mean, not just for Trey Turner, but I think it kind of galvanized the whole team and set them off on this run that now has them one win away from the World Series. Remarkable story because not only is it great for the Phillies team, but I think it's great for the for the for the image of Philadelphia fans because they've now gone from you know being the, the boo birds and being the worst fans in sports to now when you're on national TV all people talk about is the Phillies great home field advantage. So I mean they've rewritten that script too. Which is one of the hardest to do. We know some of those, not like you, but lazy analysts or sports writers, they gotta go back to Santa Ray. They gotta go back to something uh crazy here. The, you know, they they uh well uh, Monday Night Football didn't do that. They didn't just do cheesesteaks. They freshened no. it up a bit. And that's all people are asking. I got to say, though, the announcers, if the uh, play-by-play guy calls Francor Frenchie one more time, Ray, it's, t- it's tough. I-, I don't think they're horrible, but there's just is something missing with uh, most <laughs> national broadcasters. Yeah, I know. That's that's one of the problems when in baseball when your team, you know, you get so used to your broadcasters. You get so used to Scott Fransky and Larry Anderson and Tom yeah. McCarthy and, you know, I mean, they, they they take you through the whole summer. You know, they take you from from spring training, really, all through the summer. They're, you know, they're the. The, that, that's the voice you have in your car radio for months at a time, and then if they do get to the postseason, you lose them. You know, yeah. all, all of a sudden now, now the telecasts are being done by guys who are strangers, uh, and it, uh, you know, it, it always bothered me. You know, when the Phillies, when they had the really good teams of the late '70s and the early '80s, I mean, you were so identified with Harry Callis and Rich Ashburn. You know that when the team got to the postseason and they weren't calling the games, I mean, it didn't, it, it just didn't feel right, and we're kind of, we're kind of there again. Yeah, I think that Fransky and Larry Anderson are almost because I, I don't think anybody could be Richie Ashburn and Harry Callis, but I think their center, their chemistry, is almost there. That's how close it is. I agree. I think they're great. I think they're great, and and they were stepping into a really tough, really tough booth because I mean, Harry and Rich were. I mean, I mean, they were great at what they did. Um, I mean, they were absolutely the best at what they did. But beyond that, I mean, they were just so beloved in Philadelphia. I mean, you know, Richie's got his – I mean, they both got statues. Yeah, exactly. For God's sakes. I mean, Richie's got his statue out in Ashburn Alley, and Harry's got his statue. I mean, that's – they're both – and I don't know where the else that exists. I guess Harry Callis – I guess Harry Carey has one. Uh, but, I mean, that's how beloved they were in Philadelphia, that they built statues for them. And so I, I – I always thought, but I, I, I pity the poor guys that are going to have to come along and follow follow this act 
but the fact is that Fransky and uh, and L.A. have, uh, I mean, they're really good. And the people in the city, you know, they, they appreciate the fact that they're they're lucky to have two guys who are that good at what they do. Without a doubt. And, uh, Ray, let's pivot to the Eagles a bit. I would say the Phillies are so hot, they're almost rivaling a team that might be the best in the NFL and was in the Super Bowl last year as far as attention, however brief. And that takes some doing. But uh, what did you see last night? Um, a great, a great performance by the defense, a mm. great performance by the defense. Um, that was, you know, that Miami team, I mean, they, they came in here and they were the number one team, uh, the number one offensive team in football. I mean, they, they were number one running the ball. They were number one passing the ball. They were number one overall. Um, they were averaging 500 yards a game when they came in here. And, and I really, when I was watching the film, when I was studying the film before the game, just trying to get a, a handle on who they were, uh, I was just amazed at the team speed that they had. I mean, that's, that's the fastest team I've ever seen, Dom. That's, wow. that's the fastest yeah. team I've ever seen. I've never seen an offensive team in the NFL that has that much speed. Um, I mean, the, the Dick Vermeil Rams, the team that won the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner and Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce, and I mean, that was a really fast team. I mean, you know, the greatest show on turf, they called them. Uh, but even they weren't as fast as these guys. And the Eagles just the Eagles just shut them down. I mean, they really did. They started they started off by just totally shutting down the run. And uh, and the fact that the front seven was able to totally shut down Miami's running attack allowed the secondary to play deep. You know, they didn't have to come up and worry about the run. They could play deep, and that minimized the speed factor. And, uh, you know, they held a Rams team, uh, I'm sorry, a Dolphins team that came in here averaging 500 yards in offense a game to 244. I mean, wow. they cut it in half. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and just one offensive touchdown. And, I, you know, I didn't know that anybody, I didn't know that any defense was going to be able to do that. But the Eagles did it last night. Are you in the camp that Jalen Hurts, people saying he's still great, but there was something a little bit amiss, and now on WIP, it's like the uh, waiting for somebody to say we're at war or something with um, the injury report on Jalen Hurts today since there were indications last night at a halftime of a knee or something. Right. Yeah, uh, he played the second half of the game with his knee in a brace. Uh, yeah. That um, that they had a they had a uh, treat it and wrap it uh, at halftime, and there apparently was some question as to whether he was going to be able to start the second half because Marcus Mariota was actually warming up on the sideline. Oh goodness! Uh, so, um, but uh, and all the other guys had come out and he yeah. had not come out, and then and then he came out comes out the tunnel and then he starts the second half and plays and you know you win the game. Um, but yeah, there, I mean and. A couple of the players, I mean, A.J. Brown sort of mentioned it, Jason Kelsey sort of mentioned it, Nick Sirianni sort of mentioned it, that uh, in, sort of in, in the terms of, well, he, he was playing through something. And no one, no one wanted to be too specific about it, about what the injury was or how bad it was. And, of course, Hurts himself just kind of shrugged it off and said, you know, I'll be okay. Um, but it's a concern. I mean, it, it's a concern. I mean, it's, you know, to this point, I mean, he is, you know, he's had been up and down and he's played well enough to get you to six and one right now, you know, but he hasn't played as well as he did last year. And he's turned the ball over 10 times between interceptions and fumbles. And that's more than he did all last season. So there's obviously something going on there. And the question is, you know, what is it? How bad is it? You know, and how much is it going to hamper him moving forward? Now they got, 
one game this week against Washington, and then they get the bye. Ah, good. So then, yeah. then you get a week off. So if he can get through the Washington game and get a week's rest, you know, that would probably help. But, um, you know, you have that really, really tough schedule looming on the other side of the bye where you're going to have to play the Chiefs, you're going to have to play the Bills, the 49ers, the Cowboys twice. Uh, and Seattle, I mean, you're going to have basically a, a run of five straight weeks playing playoff teams, and that's going to be really rough. So you need him as close to 100% as he can be. What's up for you, Ray? What are you doing uh, next? <laughs> uh, Glenn Macnow and I are doing um, a sports movie night at the uh, Players Club of Swarthmore on uh, November the 7th. It's something that we've, you know, years ago, I guess about 10 years ago now, Glenn and I did a, a book we collaborated on called The Ultimate Book of Sports Movies, where we uh, we talked about sports movies and we, we, we picked what we felt were the 100 greatest sports movies of all time. And the book did really well. People really liked it, and we got a lot of mileage out of it on the radio. Uh, and we started doing these uh, these shows where we would go around and we would show film clips from great sports movies and classic scenes from sports movies, and um, and we would talk about the movie, we'd talk about the scene, and you know tell little little anecdotes about the making of the movies and stuff. And people really liked it, so we started doing it. And we've we've done a few more of them, and we're doing one at the Players Club of Swarthmore on November the. 7th, Tuesday, November the 7th. So looking forward to doing that. It's always fun to get back together with Glenn, and it's always fun to talk about sports movies. I mean, who I mean, who doesn't love talking about Rocky? I mean, for heaven's sake. I had uh, Glenn on, and I forget which one you guys said was the number one. It's got to be Rocky. I know, I think it's Glenn, and uh, he's won me over on this. Rudy is a deficient film. I'm not a Rudy fan. How about you? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you, you put your finger on the one that we disagreed on. Ah! Um, when when we when we did the book, um, I mean, there were literally hundreds of sports movies yeah. that we watched and, and that we discussed, and there was only one that we were completely opposite on. And you know, you're right. I mean, he has he, he thinks he thinks Rudy is terrible. He thinks it's manipulative. Um, he thinks it's sappy. Uh, and I thought it was really good. Uh, so I mean, that that was the one that we totally disagreed on. Now I convinced him that it should be in the top hundred. Okay. Uh, but we ha- we wound up having to put it somewhere in the middle. So um, it was somewhere in the fifties, I think. But I, I still contend that it's uh, it's I, I still contend it's a it's a good movie. I, I really do. And I'm I, I will admit to a certain partiality. I'm a Notre Dame ah, fan. And my I wife, knew it. I know it. But Glenn but, goes but, off on that, and I admire. What was the number one sports movie according to Glenn and Ray? It was Rocky. Okay. Well, that it was Rocky. I, I, it was Rocky. We I mean we we had three that we put at the top. Um, we had Rocky number one, we had Hoosiers number two, and we had Raging Bull number three. Um, we thought those were the three best. Uh, and I think you could shuffle them and put them in almost any order, and nobody would say you're wrong. I mean, I think they're all really, really good. Um, but, you know, for the purposes of the book, we had to do a one, two, three. And, you know, we talked about it a lot, but we just thought that uh, – you know, we just thought that Rocky, you know, that, that underdog story, no one ever told it better. And, I mean, you look, I mean, you know, I drive by the art museum all the time, and there's always a line of people yep. waiting to get their picture taken with the statue, or they're lined up to run the steps. And you're talking, that's 50 years ago, and it still has that kind of impact. I think that, that says a lot. Ray, have a great time with Glenn. Where did we get tickets? November uh, 7th, you said, out there in Swarthmore. Where did we go for tickets? Uh, check on, check the Players Club in Swarthmore. 
and uh, and uh, see if there are any seats available. I know that I know that it was it was close to selling out, but if people want to check, maybe they're maybe they can get a, a seat or so and and still squeeze in the auditorium. I think it'll be a, it'll really be a fun evening. Good stuff. We need more of those nights, uh, Glenn. Thank you. Glad to go, uh, uh, Ray. Thank you, and glad to agree with Glenn on Rudy, though. To be continued. <laughs> we can discuss. We can discuss that more at another time. All right. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for all much. right, Dom. Take care. Bye bye. Dom Giordano, weekdays noon till three, from Talk Radio twelve ten WPHD. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend four point four hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.